Welcome to the Siskiyou Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. Psalm 91, though, interestingly enough, there, there's no author. This is one of the orphan psalms. There's, there's no author attributed to this particular psalm. Now, there are some similarities between Psalm 90, uh, 91, 92. And so there are those that would say, oh, you know, it all deals with kind of where we dwell, our dwelling, where we abide. And, and we know that Psalm 90 was a psalm of Moses. And so there are some Bible teachers, some Biblical scholars who say, hey, uh, you know, Psalm 91 is also a psalm of Moses, just like Psalm 90 was a psalm of Moses, uh, because of that theme of dwelling. They kind of flow together. There are other Bible teachers that would say, you know, some of the verbiage that's used in here, like the refuge and shelter and the shield and buckler, they seem uh, very David-esque. It seems like it's David's writing stylistically, and so they attribute this psalm to King David. Uh, the fact of the matter is we just don't know. This uh, psalm has an anonymous writer, and that's the way that we're going to uh, approach it tonight. Um, it seems as though it is linked to a battle uh, at some point in Israel's history, but we have no reference point for what that battle was historically. No connection uh, can be made to any specific battle. And so we really don't know the author. We really don't know the historical setting whatsoever But the application of this psalm is timeless. And that is that there is no danger, there is no harm that can come to a child of God unless the Lord himself permits it. And if he permits it, then he will bring good from it. And that's a promise. And so uh, no matter the challenges that we face, no matter the obstacles that stand in our way, uh, the danger, the opposition, we can live our lives boldly We can live our lives in confidence for the Lord, free from fear, just trusting the promises of God for us. And so it really is a wonderful, encouraging psalm, the favorite of many. It's filled with practical encouragement of protection and life. That's really what this psalm is all about, the Lord's protection and the life that he has given us. This psalm is one of the greatest possessions of the saints. That's what G. Morgan Campbell had to say about this. G. Campbell Morgan, pardon me. He says, man, this is one of the greatest possessions of the saints. Charles Spurgeon, he says this, in the whole collection of psalms, there is not a more cheering psalm. Its tone is elevated and sustained throughout faith is at its best, and speaks nobly. High praise from from some pretty amazing Bible teachers about Psalm 91. Uh, Psalm 91 has also been called the 911 Psalm. Psalm 91.1. It's a place that we can turn to in the scriptures uh, when we're bummed out or when we are in trouble. And so it really is a special psalm that we're going to look at tonight. And and again, although although that we don't know the author, uh, although we don't know the historical setting, it doesn't mean that we can't apply uh, the lessons to our lives today. Because we know that what? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is, even though we don't know who the author is, humanly speaking, we know exactly who the author is. The author's God. And he desires to speak to us, not just them then, but to us now. All scripture is uh, given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that 
the man of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. And so there's a lot for us to glean out of this psalm uh, tonight. And saints throughout history have been encouraged, have been comforted by this passage, and I really hope that we are tonight as we look at this, uh, this psalm, Psalm 91. So let's jump in. Verse 1 it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. So, this whole psalm really is about those who dwell with the Lord, those who belong to the Lord, that they will experience really his divine protection. So what does it mean to dwell in the secret place? Uh, that's how the psalm opens up. That, that, that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So what does it mean to, to dwell in the secret place? Uh, well, really what it means to dwell in the secret place is a reference kind of uh, really from their perspective, to the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, what the Holy of Holies? It is a special place in both the tabernacle and later in the temple. Uh, the place of worship where the sacrifices would, would take place, where the, the priests would minister unto the Lord. The Holy of Holies. Uh, the, the tabernacle and the temple were both split up into these two separate uh, rooms. Basically, there was the, the first room, the holy place, where all the implements kind of were, the table of showbread and the lampstand and the altar of incense. And then between the, the holy place and the holy of holies was the veil, that thick curtain. And inside the holy of holies, what was so special about that place is it's where the spirit of the Lord resided. It's where God's presence dwelt on earth. That's where the people went to meet. Now, you couldn't just kind of wander into the Holy of Holies. That was sacred. That was special. But that's the idea. In the secret place where God's presence is, that's what the secret place is. It represents uh, that intimate place of worship and uh, knowing the Lord, the Holy of Holies. That's what that picture is all about. And there is safety and there is protection in the presence of God. Uh, we who belong to him, to, to us who are yielded to the Lord, uh, to those of us who are in his will, his perfect will, there, there's protection, there's safety there. That's good news for us. And so uh, the secret place, it really is uh, just to say uh, those who have that intimate relationship, who love, who worship the Lord. That's what it means, the secret place. Uh, but what does it mean to dwell there, to dwell in the secret place? Uh, really, it means to live in. We, we talked about what does it mean to abide on Sunday. Uh, it means to sit or to stay. It means to remain. Uh, Spurgeon puts it this way. He says to habitually reside in the mysterious presence of the Lord. Or for us, really, uh, just to put it simply, to stay as close to the Lord as possible. To, to dwell in the secret place really means to just stay as close to the Lord as possible, to walk with him, to love him, to consult with him, to praise him, to pray to him, to, to read his word, to live my life for him. That's simply what it means, uh, to live my life for the Lord. All aspects, not, not just the part that people see, but in the deepest part of who I am, that I'm connected to the Lord in that most intimate way. And really, the most important part of a believer's life is the one that only God can see. What do you do when no one is around? How do you conduct yourself when no one is watching? 
How do you speak when nobody is listening, when you're alone in the car? Uh, you know, that's your, your, your why. That's, that, that's, that's, that's that intimate place with the Lord. So often we gauge our kind of religiosity, our walk with the Lord, kind of by our church face. Don't do that. It's not the front that we put on. It's not the outward appearance that's important. It's the heart. That's what the Lord sees uh, in that intimate place uh, with the Lord. See, but the problem for me is that I'm a sheep. And uh, I love the shepherd. I do. But I, I'm prone to wander. I, I, I'm, I'm prone to take my eyes off the Lord. And that is when I get into trouble. Uh, and I'm so glad that, that the Lord uh, doesn't kind of just write me off as a wolf snack when I, I, I wander away. <laughs> when I find myself just being a dumb sheep, he doesn't be like, well, I warned him, and there he is. So I guess the wolves will eat him, and that will teach him a lesson. No, but the Lord, he, he comes after us. Uh, in fact, the Bible says that he leaves the 99 to come and find the one that has strayed away. Uh, and, and that's a good thing. And so to dwell in the secret place uh, of the Most High. Man, it's just speaking of that intimate, wonderful, beautiful, real relationship we have with the Lord. Not the outward appearance like we have, but the real relationship that we have with the Lord. And uh, even when we wander away, even when we mess up, man, the Lord, he's going to shepherd us back to where we need to be. Uh, because it's not a matter of belonging to the shepherd. If you love the Lord, if you belong to him, well, you belong to him. But when you wander out from underneath of his protection... That's a dangerous place to be. It's a matter of dwelling in the secret place, being as close as you can to the Lord. And uh, the closer you are to the shepherd, the safer you are from the enemy. And that is just the reality. Uh, it's part of the promise that is given here. It's a bit of a conditional promise. The closer you are, the safer you, you'll be. Uh, and the one who, who dwells in the secret place of the Most High uh, who abides in the, the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, it's interesting, those two words for the Lord that are used there, those two words for God. So first of all, for most high, it's El Elyon, which uh, just means uh, the most high, even as it's translated. But the idea is that there is none other that's higher than God. And then uh, the Almighty is El Shaddai. So the one who dwells in the secret place of the most high, nobody higher uh, the one who abides uh, in the shadow of El Shaddai, the Almighty, the most powerful. And the idea is if you belong to the Lord, the, the, the most high, the, the most powerful, uh, then what on earth could hurt you? What could come and snatch you from the Lord? What could kind of bypass God's will for your life and, and snatch you up? And the answer is nothing. Imagine for a minute. Just, just humor me. Trying to steal something from Mike Tyson in his prime. I mean, it's not going to happen. Not unless he wants you to have it. And that's a poor example because the Lord is infinitely greater than Mike Tyson. I don't know. There's something about Mike Tyson that just freaks me out. Maybe it's the tattoo now that he has on his face, but he's one bad dude. He knocks some guys out. He really did. Uh, but, man, it, there's nothing that can snatch you or harm you uh, unless 
It's God's will for your life. No harm can come to us outside of God's will for us. Uh, and so that does something for me. That does something for all of us. It, it, it means that we are free to just live our lives. We don't have to worry about what is around the bend or what might happen or what they might do to us or how this might shake out because we know that we belong to the Lord. And, and if we dwell in the secret place, man, then we will abide in, in the shadow of uh, the Almighty. Now, the shadow really is a reference to kind of the shadow uh, of his wings, the, the shadow of uh, a mother hen. And we're going to touch on that here in a minute. But think about how a mother hen protects her chicks, right? There have been stories uh, about firefighters who have come across a fire that swept through and burned down a, a farm. And there's a barbecued chicken, and underneath the barbecued chicken are little baby chicks that are just chirping and living. The, the mother hen laid down her life to protect the chicks. Sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what the Lord has done for us? And we can have that confidence that the Lord is going to look out for us. But not only is this kind of a reference to the idea that the Lord wants to hide us under his wings, even as he said in Matthew when he looked back over Jerusalem, oh, if you would have known, if you would have fallen uh, you know, uh, into my will, if you would have just surrendered, I would have hidden you under my wings like a mother hen. Uh, it, there is that reference there. But not only that, it speaks to different wings. Uh, the wings of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, there we talked about the Holy of Holies where God's presence resided. God's presence was there between the cherubim, the wings of the cherubim uh, on the mercy seat. So in that place, the most sacred of all the furnishings was, man, the Ark of the Covenant. This little two foot by two foot by four foot acacia wood box covered in gold and contained within that box was the law of Moses and on top of that box was the lid called the mercy seat with the wings of the cherubim that went out and you know the interesting thing about this and I've shared this with you guys before it really is a beautiful thing because uh, the law uh, the penalty of the law brought about death and here uh, we have the lid, the mercy seat, uh, because as the blood was applied to the mercy seat, uh, mercy stands between us and the penalty of the law. It really is just a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. And so you think about, uh, you know, hiding in the shadow of the Almighty. And I'm going to be protected by God under, under his shadow and his shade. Uh, and that's really what it is. What are we protected from primarily from the Lord? It's not stubbing my toe. It's not banging my finger with a hammer. It's not getting hit by a bus. It's not getting sick with anything. No, we're protected. We're saved from the wages of sin, death, eternally, separation from God. And so what a beautiful picture uh, we have there. Uh, and so uh, these first few verses, verse 1, I mean really, nine one one. when you are blue, when you are in trouble, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. When we dwell with the Lord, when we have that secret, real relationship, there's a safety there. Verse 3 goes on to, to begin to explain the things that the Lord keeps us from, protects us from, the safety that we can uh, experience uh, in this relationship with the Lord. Surely, verse 3, he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Uh, 
You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. And so the psalmist here begins to go through all of these scenarios and these different situations whereby the Lord was going to keep his own safe, uh, uh, safe from the enemy, safe from these different things. And he starts with the fowler. You'll be safe from the snares uh, of the fowler, verse 3. He'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now, now what was a fowler? A fowler was someone who uh, laid out traps for birds to catch them. I imagine to eat them. I didn't really look into that part too much, but I mean, if you're setting snares, you're probably going to eat these things. Um, maybe they had a, a serious like underground pet network that I didn't know about back in the day, but I think they're probably to eat. Uh, but the idea is that they were setting these traps to, to snag the birds. And so the Lord says here, I'll keep you safe from the, the, the snares of the fowler. See, we have a very real enemy, and he's a sneaky son of a gun. And oftentimes he just doesn't come at us in broad daylight with something that's very easy to see. No, he lays traps. He's sneaky. He tries to catch us off guard. And what the psalmist is saying is that we don't have to be afraid of the traps that have been laid for us by any enemy, by the enemy, by enemies that we face in this world. We don't have to be afraid of the unseen dangers because the Lord will keep you from the unseen dangers. And I don't know about you, but that's a relief for me, that I don't have to worry about the what-ifs. How many of you guys keep yourselves up at night worrying about the what-ifs of life? Don't lie to me. I know I'm not alone. Right? We go down all those what could happen, all of these different scenarios. Well, we don't have to worry about the unseen dangers because the Lord will keep us from those things. He has a plan to, to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. We don't have to worry about those things. Uh, perilous pestilence is mentioned uh, here in verse 4 and also in verse 6, or verse 3, pardon me, uh, and from the perilous pestilence. What is perilous pestilence? Well, it's diseases. It's plagues. It's epidemics. Uh, in the 80s, we had the epidemic of AIDS. Uh, in 1987, I was 10, and I was a bit of a hypochondriac when I was a kid. Uh, if you ever want to hear some funny stories, you can talk to my mom. But when I was 10 years old, man, I was certain I was going to die from AIDS. <laughs> I just was. I heard about it on the news and the adults talking about it. I didn't understand that it was like a sexually transmitted disease, primarily gay men, all this. I just knew, man, I'm going to die from AIDS. And, and then finally, I got over that whole situation. And my uncle, thinking it was funny, was like, have you heard about Lyme's disease? And I'm like, oh, no. I just spent hours crying on my bed thinking that I was going to die from Lyme's disease. And now I can laugh at it. I say, what a ridiculous, unwarranted fear. Right? And that's the way that we could say about anything that we worry about today as far as disease. We don't have to worry about diseases. The Lord is freeing us from that. It's a waste of time. It's an unwarranted fear. We don't have to fear disease. It says that he will cover us with his feathers. It's another reference to God's protection uh, again, the ultimate protection is the protection that we see, the reference of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, what Jesus has done for us. Because uh, he has died, uh, because he has paid the penalty of the law, uh, we will never experience death. And, and that's the, the true covering. Uh, 
The psalmist goes on to talk about um, his truth shall be your shield and buckler. I like this. The truth of the Lord will be your shield and buckler. Now, uh, shield and buckler, what's going on here? Those are both shields. What's the difference? So a shield is a big shield. It's a, it's a big thing that you sink into the ground and you barricade it in front of you so that when the enemy is hurling rocks and arrows and spears, it's like this, it's meaty. It's taking the brunt of those. A buckler, it's a little shield that, you know, you're, you're, you're going to it, a swashbuckler. You know, you're going and you're defending yourself. It's kind of a hand-to-hand combat. Uh, but the idea here is whether the threat is a huge threat, whether the threat is a little threat, man, we need not worry because uh, the Lord is our shield and he is our buckler. He is our defense. See, God's truth is our defense uh, in times uh, of difficulty. It's our defense against what? Against fear, against confusion uh, that often accompanies struggles and difficulties, the battles of life. Uh, sometimes when we're going through it, when we're just dealing with uh, these battles that can happen in life, man, one of the, the greatest things that can trip us up is fear and confusion. And God's word is our defense against that. God's word is our defense against falling into fear and confusion when we're in the midst of difficulty because we can remember his promises to us. Man, God's promises go such a long way when we're dealing with those hard seasons because his promises are unchanging. We can go to them and we can be reassured, that's right, Lord, that's what you said. I don't need to be freaking out about this or that. And, and Lord, I don't need to be confused about what I'm supposed to do in this situation or scenario. And I know it's difficult because this is what your word says. This is what your word directs me. Uh, his truth is our shield and buckler. Uh, then the psalmist kind of goes over some uh, different scenarios. You should not be afraid of the terror by night, uh, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And so the psalmist goes uh, over all these kinds of different con- destructions that can come your way. All sorts of different circumstances, all sorts of different times of day, uh, in the night, uh, at noonday, uh, midday, all these different things. Uh, arrows, pestilence, uh, destruction, all of these different things, as if to just kind of throw that kind of blanket. It doesn't matter what time. It doesn't matter what enemy. It doesn't matter what. God will protect you from those things. Whenever or however it comes, God is able to defend his people. Just to, just to cover all of it. No matter what you're going through, no matter when you're going through it, the Lord is able to deliver you. He's able to see you through that situation. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Uh, real quick, as you read through that, you think about all those different things, and you think, you know, I don't know when the last time you were worried about being struck down by an arrow. Not a big concern I have when I leave the house. I'm not, like, poking my head out the door to make sure that there's no arrows coming my way. Uh, so practically, we say, well, you know, how does this really apply to me? There are arrows that are launched at you every single day. And they're arrows that when they hit their mark, they can do a great deal of damage. And those are the fiery darts of the enemy the Bible talks about. And we're to quench those fiery darts. How? The shield of faith, the Bible says. 
The shield of faith, how do we increase our faith? Faith by, comes by what? Hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's interesting the way all those things are tied together, isn't it? Uh, right back to, uh, you know, the, the truth of the Lord is our shield and, and buckler. Uh, but when those fiery darts come from the enemy, those doubts and those lies and those, those things, man, uh, remember God's word and, and his promises. Uh, a thousand may fall by your side and 10,000 by your right hand. Uh, this is, uh, you know, basically a, a statement that kind of shores us up when the odds are against us. You know, when we're greatly outnumbered, you know, it doesn't matter what the odds look like. It doesn't matter if it's 1,000 to 1. It doesn't matter if it's 10,000 to 1. The Lord is still bigger. You think about the story of Gideon for just a second. Remember Gideon? Boy, the Midianites were just bullying the Israelites to no end. And the Lord comes along and says, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor, even though he was hiding from them. And the Lord strengthens Gideon to, to, to be this leader militarily and lead this charge against the Midianites. And, 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 and Gideon begins to build himself an army, 32,000 men. And no doubt he's thinking, all right, Lord, maybe this thing is going to work. Maybe I am a mighty man of valor. This thing is going to be great. And the Lord's like, all right, looking good, Gideon. Pause, time out. Let's, uh, let's reduce your army a little bit. Reduce the army, Lord. Okay, what do you mean? And he said, I want you to go to the army, and I want you to tell them, anybody who's afraid, go home. Gideon's like, all right. I mean, there's got to be a handful of those guys who are afraid of war. Calls them together. Anybody who's afraid, you're free to go home. No harm, no foul. And they're like, really? 22,000 of the 32,000 bailed. Gideon's like, okay. 10,000, though. It's still a pretty mighty army. And the Lord does a whole other test. Hey, see how these guys drink. And, you know, the ones who are the old guys who drink like old guys, you keep them and get rid of all the guys who are vigilant soldiers. He's left with 300 men. You want to talk about the odds being stacked against you, but guess who won? See, God plus zero is a majority. It doesn't matter what the circumstances or the odds look like. Think about King Hezekiah. Uh, the Assyrians were gathered against him. But the Lord wiped out 185,000 Assyrians in one night. Think about Elisha. See, we get a, a real glimpse of what it looks like uh, in God's economy. Uh, we get a glimpse of what it looks like that we're not really actually outnumbered, that the odds really aren't against us when it comes to spiritual battle. Because remember, uh, there was Elisha. Uh, they're holed up because the king wants to wipe them out. They're convinced that Elisha is spying on him and spoiling his plans. And so there, Elisha's servant wakes up in the morning, goes out on the porch. He's having his cup of joe, and there he sees the army of the Syrians. Not the Assyrians, but the Syrians. He starts to freak out. And Elisha says, Lord, would you open his eyes and show him how things really are? And he sees the army of the Lord. He's like, oh, man, every little thing is going to be all right, Elisha. I see something going on here. See, but that's really what it looks like. The, the, the odds are, are, are never against us. It doesn't matter uh, what it looks like. And so the Lord goes through and he promises all of these different things. Boy, the, the, if we are uh, dwelling in the secret place uh, of the Most High, then we will abide in the, the shadow of the Almighty, that we'll be protected, that those of us who belong to the Lord, that there's this uh, protection that comes along with it. And, and again, why is this uh, protection here? Well, he reiterates that in, in verse 9 for us. Verse 9 says, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. 
No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. So, so why is it that, that we're protected? Why is it that we're kept? Is it because we have amazing faith? No. Is it because uh, we're amazing holy people? Nope. It, it, it's because God is our dwelling place. It's because we belong to him. Again, and if we belong to him, oh, he has ownership over us. Uh, it's that real intimate relationship in that we belong to the Lord, and nothing can come against us outside of his will for us. Martin Luther, he said that this is a promise for those who really dwell and do not merely appear to dwell and do not just imagine that they dwell in, in his presence. Interesting. This is, these promises that we're talking about this evening, these aren't kind of like uh, just general, blanket, uh, universal truths that anybody in this world can latch onto. These promises are exclusive uh, to Christians, to us who dwell in this secret place. Uh, that's who these promises are for. So let me get this straight. Are you telling me that Christians, because they dwell in the secret place of the Most High, uh, they abide in the, the shadow of the Almighty, that, that nothing bad can happen to them? that pestilence can never touch them, that hardship will never befall them, that they're immune to disease and misfortune. I wish I could say tonight that, man, you'll never fall into a trap. You'll never get sick. You'll never be afraid. You'll never fall victim to violence or to an attack. But that just isn't true. That's not true at all. Christians face hardship and trial. Christians are murdered every single day. Every single day, Christians die from diseases. And we have to, to take the entirety of Scripture. We have to say, well, what about Paul? Paul the Apostle was a pretty amazing dude. And he has a list of hardships and difficulties. I mean, as long as I am tall. He's got a lot of things that happen in his life. What about the disciples who all died martyrs? What about all the martyrs throughout history? Who have been tortured? What gives? Like, how, how do we kind of, how do we hold these two things in juxtaposition and say, well, they, they go together? That God will never allow us to go through things. And then by the same token, we know that it's true, that they do go through it. Um, this is a quote, and I don't know who said it or I'd give him credit. It says, For it may befall a saint to share in a common calamity. That is, uh, we share in the calamities of the world. Bad things happen to all of us as the corn and the weeds are cut down together, but for a different end and purpose. You see, those martyrs, those disciples, those believers, they didn't go down when they died. They went up. They went into glory. They were delivered. They're in glory right now. Uh, this psalm that we're reading tonight, it's not a protection policy against all calamity that could come against us. We can't name it and claim it with this scripture. We can't say, well, this is the way it's going to be, and so nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. And I say that because, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is uh, that this 
particular passage was misused a lot from the pulpit during the last several years when we were going through the COVID pandemic. That there were people that would stand up in front of their congregation and say, hey, you stand on these promises of God and you will never get COVID-19. This is our guarantee. This is God's promise to us. This is proof of God's protection from that. Look, pestilence. But some of those same pastors died of COVID-19. Now, they didn't get taken down, not if they truly believed in the Lord. They got taken up to glory. Uh, It's not because God's word let them down. It's because they misapplied God's word. And again, if they truly belonged to the Lord, if they truly dwelt in the secret place of the Most High, boy, then they're in heaven right now. And so we have to be careful when it comes to Scripture to not take Scripture and make it say what we want it to say. Because interestingly enough, as we look at this particular Scripture, that is exactly what Satan did with this Scripture. He took it and he twisted it out of context to try to trip Jesus up when he was being tempted in the wilderness. Remember in Matthew 4? I'll read it to you. Uh, This is the account of when Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered, Jesus did, and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And this is where he quotes Psalm 91. He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written that you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, for a third time, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said unto him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So Satan used this exact passage. He he twisted it and tried to to manipulate Jesus with it. He misrepresented it. A couple things about that passage there in uh, Matthew chapter 4 is that, first of all, Jesus used the word to combat temptation. Well, what a good word that is for us. To use God's word to combat temptation. Uh, Secondly, the word was readily available. Jesus knew the word. He was ready to rightly apply it. And the interesting thing is that all of those sections, all of those passages that Jesus uh, used, scriptures that he quoted to Satan, came out of the same uh, passage, came, all, came out of Deuteronomy. It's like that's where Jesus just happened to be. You know, it was his custom to get up early before the sun rose, to spend time with the Lord, to worship, to pray, to study, no doubt. And so... Uh, I believe that that's where Jesus happened to be in his studies during that time, and it was ready. And that's a good word for us, too, to not neglect. And some mornings you might get up, and you're just like, man, I don't even know. And, and you're putting God's word in and putting God's word in. You're like, how is this even going to apply to my life today? And then lo and behold, later on, you're like, wait a second. This is perfect. It fits right there. Uh, it happens all the time. Don't neglect that. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I want you to notice about this interaction between Jesus and Satan, that Satan knows the word of God. He knows it well. And so in order for you to kind of withstand those attacks, you better know it, and you better know how to rightly uh, apply it. And so Satan takes the scripture out of context, and he misapplies it. First, he misquotes it. You notice that? So 
uh, turning back to our text in Psalm 91, he leaves a portion out. That, uh, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Uh, oh, pardon me. Nor shall any plague over you. For he shall give his angels charge over you. That's right. To keep you in all your ways. Uh, in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. That's where Satan stopped. Uh, uh, he left the part out uh, where uh, it says to keep thee in all thy ways. See, uh, he, he completely omitted that part. Uh, where am I? Keep you in all your ways. That's the first thing. He, he, he completely skips that. That out, he shall give his angels charge of you to keep you in all your ways. He just skips over that and says, in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot on a stone. See, that's an important part of the scripture. That's an important part of the phrase. Uh, that's a, an important part of what God was trying to communicate in that passage. Because uh, to keep you in your ways has the implication of, of keeping in God's will. It means that God will keep you on the right path. The, the, the keep you on the way that you're supposed to go. And that's exactly what Satan was trying to do the opposite of. He was trying to tempt Jesus to do something that he shouldn't do, to, to tempt the Lord his God, uh, to say, look, you know, uh, you, just, you just take this passage, look, God will keep you no matter what you do. Jump on off here and you'll be just fine. Is that what that passage means? Of course not. We can't live our lives that way. No, man, you know what? It's appointed once to, to a man to die. Our, our days are numbered and nothing can take me before the Lord brings me home. And so I'm going to live my life recklessly and I'm going to, you know, juggle dynamite and I'm going to nap on the freeway. And boy, if you live your life like that, your appointed day might be sooner than you think. But Jesus says, you know, you're, you're not to, to, to tempt the Lord your God. Uh, he, he misapplies it into to, to making it sound like God will protect you no matter what. God has never promised or given protection anywhere in the scriptures uh, of angels uh, in sinful and forbidden ways. You're just sinning away, and then there's this protection. Like, oh, I'm just going to sin away, and I'm going to disobey the Lord, and then the Lord is there just keeping you. Uh, this is completely misapplied scripture. It, it's not what the original text meant, and Satan tried to misapply it. And context really is key when we're studying through the word of God. Uh, you can't cherry pick God's word and say, well, this part applies and I'm going to hold on to this part and I'm going to disregard that part. We need the whole counsel uh, of God's word. Uh, we pick and choose and that's how we end up with people who are, you know, passing around rattlesnakes in services and drinking little bits of poison because Jesus told them, you know, in Mark 16, you know, when you go out, you don't have to worry about the, the vipers and you don't have to worry about the poison. Uh, and so they say, well, we're to take up and handle snakes, and we're to drink poison. And, but that's out of context. Uh, the whole context of that was go out and make disciples. As you go out into all the world and share the gospel, man, there's going to be dangerous situations, but you don't have to fear the viper. You don't have to worry about the poison. Remember when Paul just shook off the viper? And her, he was there, and they're gathering firewood, and he gets bit by a poisonous snake, and he shakes it off, and you're like, whoa, what? you don't have to fear. The Lord's got you in those situations. And so uh, be careful that we don't do the same thing uh, with certain scriptures, that we don't take them and twist them and make them uh, fit our own uh, kind of uh, ideas. Because really, if you want to, you can make the Bible say anything. If you just cherry pick certain verses, you can, and people do. Um, in a strange way, uh, it's good that this whole thing is recorded, this interaction between Satan 
and uh, Jesus because it shows us the true meaning. It helps us to understand Psalm 91. That it's not this blanket statement that no matter what, you're protected in all circumstances. Uh, there's conditions that are applied to that. And so um, it doesn't give the absolute promise to believer in every circumstance. Uh, verse 13, and we'll just read through the rest of this. Verse 13 says, uh, You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the, lung, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. There's a messianic uh, reference uh, in there. Uh, because he has, and now verse 14, uh, it, it changes. It, it's no longer um, uh, the psalmist speaking. These are the words of God to uh, his saints. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And so uh, verse 13 talks about treading on the, the snake, the dragon. Satan is called a serpent. The first mention of the gospel, Proto-Evangelium. Uh, we've talked about it before, uh, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between the woman and between your seed and her seed. Uh, he shall bruise your heel and, or head and you shall bruise his heel. It's this, the first picture of this relationship between Satan and Jesus, how Jesus will crush him. Uh, in his he will be bruised. We really don't have time to get into that. Just uh, make note of that. You can check it out. Um, we can apply that idea to our lives because we don't need to fear Satan, right? Uh, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So just know that. Sometimes we can fall into this place where we're worried that Satan's going to jump out behind the bush at every corner, and we don't have to worry about that. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Uh, so again, verse 14, the, the voice changes. It's now God who's speaking, and he's speaking uh, promise and blessing over his people. Uh, specifically to those uh, who love him. Uh, and the last uh, words of the psalm, uh, again, are not spoken uh, by God's people. They're spoken to God's people. Uh, words of deliverance, words of exaltation, of relationship, a promise of his presence in trouble, uh, life uh, that is long. He said, well, wait a second. Again, we run into this dilemma because Christians don't always live forever. Uh, again, when you take your last breath here, what happens to you? Are you dead? Nope. You go to heaven. And you, you live eternally. And so we have the, the blessing of long life and, and of salvation. Those are the last things the Lord just speaks this blessing over us. Man, what an encouragement. When you're down, boy, read through uh, that section. When you're in trouble, man, dial 911. This is the psalm, Psalm 91. It's a reminder that we belong to the Lord, that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That we have nothing to fear in this life. We have nothing to fear in this life. No kind of danger or harm can come to you or to me unless God permits it. And if he permits it, he will bring good from it. That is a promise. So again, no matter the challenges we face, no matter the difficulty, no matter the seasons, man, we are free to live our lives boldly and confidently for the Lord, free from fear. Uh, again, whenever you're afraid, whenever you're fearful, check into this psalm. It really is a good one. And so, man, live your life boldly. You don't got to be afraid of nothing. You belong to the Lord. Amen. So, Lord, again, we thank you for this, this word for us tonight. And, and I pray that we would uh, really be those who study your word and who rightly apply your word and who would rejoice in this reality, Lord, that, that there's nothing that we need to fear. And sometimes, Lord, we can come to that place to where we say, well, what if it's your will, Lord, for, for bad things to come into our lives? But we don't even have to fear that because we know, Lord, that 
when we get to those places that you'll equip us for it and you're going to see us through, that you'll bring good out of it. And so I pray, Lord, that as we leave this place, as we go and we just live our lives, Lord, that we wouldn't be freaked out or overly concerned or, or walking in fear, but Lord, that we would walk in confidence and boldness, knowing that we're yours and nothing can touch us, that we're in your hands. And if you allow it, Lord, then you'll use it to bring about good and that you'll prepare us uh, to face that season, that you'll be with us, and um, Lord, you'll bring good from it. So uh, again, thank you for Psalm 91, the encouragement that it brings us. Help us to live by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com. Thank you.